ready to receive what Pastor Kevin is going to bring to us tonight. Good to have him back home. He and Zach and and Lucia and Danielle and Lyrica too. Yeah, hey. Lyrica. <laughs> well, Zach, why don't you? Uh, would you like to say anything about getting your master's? Okay. <laughs> Next time. Maybe on Sunday we'll get him to say something. It's quite a deal, though. We went to the Voice of the Prophets conference, which is sponsored by the Global Awakening uh, Organization with Randy Clark. And it was tremendous, I tell you. My favorite was Sammy Rodriguez. He... uh, he is the overseer of a coalition of 42,000 Hispanic churches in the United States. And uh, anyway, it's something else. It was really tremendous, though, what uh, the services. He, he charged me up. The other guys, and I enjoyed a lady from Australia. She was really good. She was like a boiling teapot, Sister Virginia. She, she prophesied a little and prayed over people, and she said, oh, I know I'm not supposed to do this right now. And her hand would start waving, and she'd wave it at somebody, and they'd fall out of the spirit. She'd say, oh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> you know, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff happened, and there were some other good speakers, too, but that's my highlights, anyway. And, of course, seeing Zach receive his master's along with about 19 or 20 others, uh, they worked hard over a two to three year period to, to uh, do the enough classes to receive it. And that's a, an accredited organization. It was Global Awakening Theological Seminary that he graduated from. And hopefully will be taking starting his doctoral program in fall of 2023. Danielle needed a break. We needed a break, okay. Well, he just goes nonstop. Eventually, one day he's going to wake up and say, you know what, I need to sleep a little more. But uh, I was kind of like that too, though. I burned a candle on both ends. I I was doing ministry six nights out of the week uh, back in my early years, going places preaching at all kinds of youth meetings. He does that too. He's just an acorn that doesn't fall far from the tree. It's growing into another big tree. And I'm proud of that. And uh, anyway, let's talk tonight. We're going to get into kind of another similar, but we're going along the way. I'm going to call it part one anyway, because we had so many parts of the other teaching. I'm going to call it part one Ecclesia. Ecclesia, a vision for church. You know, you have to have a vision for church, not a building, not a church building or denomination. But we have to have vision for church and what the church really means. And in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And, uh, but happy is he who 
keeps the law, the Word of God. You know, if you keep the Word, then you can be happy because you know you're doing the right thing. But uh, a person that does not have a vision, I, I came home and I saw a notebook next to my chair, and I saw all these names of stuff written down. I won't get into that. I think it's a business John is wanting to have. And, uh, but, you know, that's what it takes. It starts with a seed, a vision. Now, is that the right thing? I don't know. You know, you'll, you'll find out over time. But you let something germinate in your spirit. You, you get a vision for something, you know. And then God, that, that's like casting your line out there and you see a spot you want to cast it to, catch a big fish. You keep casting until you get in the right spot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see. But uh, people cast off restraint and they don't have a vision. That means they don't, they don't live a constrained life. They, they live just here and there and they're throwing the money at this and at that and they're just living a popcorn lifestyle. You know, they're just living to just, you know, you eat popcorn, you get full, but it doesn't last very long. Y'all ever notice that? You know, you go to a movie or something, you can get a big old sack of popcorn and a drink, and you can eat almost all, I, I eat almost all of it. Now Lucia's eating a little bit sometimes. But we eat that popcorn, and it's, and it's false. It's not real. It doesn't fill you up, but for a short time. Because, you know, once you let popcorn melt in your mouth, it goes back down real small again. And so, you know, if you look at how many corns are in a little bag or jar, we get those popcorns from the store that you take the wrapper off, you put it in the microwave, and then you put it on popcorn setting, and it's a flat little thing. You know, it's not no bigger than your hand and it's about as thin as your hand and all that and it gets hot and then it starts popping and the bag blows up and for long then you pour it out in this bowl and it's funny because the dogs that live at our house all three of them they love popcorn <laughs> they smell that popcorn and they come and they look and they dogs can't keep their mouths closed have you noticed that their mouths are like they're about to drool all over the floor because they want that popcorn so bad. <laughs> but you eat that popcorn, it doesn't fill you up. It, it feels like it fills you up, but then it's gone with the wind. Like that movie. It's just gone. But you've got to have vision. And you need to have a vision for something substantial. Like a steak and a baked potato. You can tell I haven't eaten dinner yet but a salad, you, you want it to be substantial. You know, it needs to be more lasting. So, anyway, I've got a couple of points for you here. Number one, many people are perishing because they don't have a redemptive revelation of God. In other words, their vision isn't big enough. It's not for really winning souls. It's not for establishing the kingdom. 
uh, it could be, oh, let's have church and, you know, let's do this. It's a nice little party we can have or, or you know, we got to get some chairs. I had a vision for all that too. And I'm a wheeler dealer. I got these chairs extremely well priced. And I won't get into that, but anyway, I worked the deal. But you got a vision for something. It's more than chairs. It's more than having a meeting. It's more than getting together. It's, it's redemption. A revelation of redemption. You know, I was preaching Sunday there in, in Cary, which is a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina. In the second service, you know, I had words of knowledge. I had people stand. I didn't have them all come down or anything. I, I just started speaking the word of healing and going back, sometimes touching some of them. And God was really touching some of them. And then uh, I had a word about there were some people called to the ministry that haven't never accepted the call. Now, there was about 350 people in that second service, maybe, maybe 400. Anyway, well, after the kids went, like they released theirs after worship like we do, there was probably about 300 in there. But 11 people came forward. I said, could I have one more? We'll have the disciples, you know, the 12 disciples. But we had 11. And it's funny because God was dealing with this one man that is Richard Johnson's brother-in-law, and he gripped the pew so tight the last time I was there, like three years ago, two years ago, that he wouldn't come forward. This time, boom, he went on up. He came up there. He was ready. And so he had 11 people called to the ministry. They gave in to the call. They were accepted. Well, that's cool. Man, I felt like, man, I came here to make a difference, and I have. A lot of people got healed. And 11 people got called. But then the Lord nudged me and said, don't forget the ones that don't know me. And I said, how many of you are here today and you're not sure you'll go to heaven, but you want to make sure? And seven people came forward with weeping. I think it was at least seven, wasn't it, Zach? I'd say seven or eight, something like that. And uh, maybe they had known him before. I don't know. They were at church and they came couple of them were couples that wanted to make sure they were right with God and would go to heaven if something happened. And that's redemption. You, you have to have a revelation of God's redemption. That's part of vision. You have a vision for something. You don't just envision, oh, we're going to have a good service. Uh, we're going to have 15 minutes of really good, strong worship. And then uh, we're just going to use a minute and it's going to be on the screen and they're going to do it and then the people are going to collect the money with hardly saying a word about the offering and then the preacher is going to preach 22 minutes and 30 seconds because you know people who do research say that people's attention span isn't any longer than about 22 minutes and 30 seconds. Well, I can hardly give an introduction in 22 minutes. You know, much less preach the whole message, but because I tell too many stories. But you know what? I told those stories about different stuff. Those people laughed and laughed and laughed. Even my interpreter, my translator, he couldn't even 
translate sometimes. He would start laughing, and I'd say, hey, say it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was laughing. <laughs> but that's just the way it is, because you give him that anesthesia, and then you stick that surgeon's knife in. You do a little surgery. Good. But anyway, you got to have a vision for it. Where are you going? What are you accomplishing for God's kingdom? It's not just about having a meeting and we're done in an hour and everybody can go their merry way. You know, a lot of those churches like that, and I don't want to be overly critical, but a lot of those churches like that during the COVID time, Eliezer was telling me about a church there that had gone from 13,000 down to 5,000. I tell you what, you lose 8,000 people in your church and see what happens. Well, now they're building it back up gradually. But a lot of places suffered, I mean, tremendously. A lot of churches closed their doors during COVID. We stayed closed about six weeks, and then on Mother's Day, which is coming up this Sunday, we reopened, and we've been open ever since. And I haven't worn a mask one time in this service. You know, and God, some people have suffered from COVID, but a lot of people used to suffer from the flu. It's amazing how the flu just went away. All we had was COVID for a while. I better get off that topic. They'll be coming out and questioning me. But I'll stay off of it. But anyway, many people perish because they don't have a vision, a revelation of God's kingdom, of his redemption process. In other words, we need to have a revelation of God and the fact he wants family members to come in. He wants people to know him. And if that's not our goal, if it's just to have a little uh, ritual or a little uh, diatribe, you know, on a Sunday for 35, 45, 50 minutes, you know, that's okay if it's powerful enough. But most time they don't have a vision for the power. Number two, sin is missing the mark. If you don't have a revelation of God and His redemption, you're going to miss the mark and you're going to land in sin. And many are trying to be good. That's number two, by the way. I didn't move it up there yet. Uh, then you're just trying to be good based upon your knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis, Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Then they realized, man, you naked. Well, you naked too. Yeah. We had man and whoa, man. <laughs> Adam, I don't know if he realized that she was whoa, man, until he ate the bite of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But now you know if it's wrong or it's right, what you're up to. So it's important, you know, that your revelation keeps you from only living according to what you believe is good and evil. How many of y'all know some people think certain things are okay for them? Well, that may be the way you want it, but it's not the way we are going to do it. Okay. Well, let's check the book. What does the book say? The book says, no, no. Don't go that way. 
Because if you do, this is what comes your way. There's consequences, as they say. So, anyway, let's go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, that's something we've read many times. But it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the heart is the seat of the, the throne of your emotions, your thought life, your motives, your decisions. So trust in the Lord with all your thought life and your emotions and your decision making. And lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't lean on your understanding of the knowledge that you got. Zach's knowledge increased greatly when he took all those classes. Now when he gets up to preach, he has something to say. I remember Brother Summerall, I asked him one day, I said, well, how soon do you think you know, somebody needs to start writing books? He said, well, you don't have much to say before you're 50. <laughs> and he laughed. But sometimes that's true. You have to have some life experience. In other words, your understanding has to be purified in the fire a little bit so that you, you're not just leaning on your own understanding. Like we said, some people understand certain things. Well, they say, well, that's all right. If they want to live that way, they believe in God, but they can be gay or they can believe in God and they can, you know, do this or that. Well, I'll tell you what, is anybody around? God ain't winking and blinking, in the words of one of my prophet friends from years ago. God has it his way, and you can say it's okay all day long, but if it's not right in the book, it's not right. It's not okay. You know, so I'll get off that for now. But he went on and said, In all your ways, the way that you live, acknowledge him. In other words, Jesus, I acknowledge you in this, and he shall direct your paths. How many of y'all want God's direction in your life? I mean, you want you don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste your energy. You don't want to waste your money. You don't want to waste anything. That's why you can't do something just in your own knowledge and understanding because then it becomes a school of hard knocks. They said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That book, Charles Sheldon wrote called In His Steps. You ever read that? How many of y'all have read that before? Heard of it? Yeah. Chelsea, you and John need to read that. That book's an interesting book. It's a paperback, just a little novel type deal, fiction. But it's where a town decided that they would, in their church, they were humdrum, and they decided that they would start living as if Jesus was right there in his steps. And that's where the term WWJD came about. What would Jesus do? And when they asked that question, well, I don't think he would fudge on that. Or I don't think he would do this. You know, they began to live according to his ways and not just their ways. You know, you don't live according to his ways, you might hit the highway and not be good situation. Number three, we must learn to lean on God and not our own thinking. And then we need to learn to obey His voice. So, you know, we need to learn 
what he wants, not just what we think. You know, some people think, well, I think that it's this way. Well, you know what? Sometimes I'm very nice, and I smile, and I nod. And say, well, that's, that's your prerogative. But I want to say, are you an idiot? <laughs> Don't you know that there's consequences <laughs> to doing what you think? I'm not saying you can't think for yourself, but when you think, you need to think on the truth and what is solid information. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, don't lean on your own thinking, your own knowledge, your own understanding. You need more. You know, he talked about getting knowledge and understanding, but especially get wisdom, you know. He said, seek wisdom. Solomon asked. He could ask for more fame, money. He, they had so much money in that kingdom. That's why being a Christian, you don't have to be poor. But he he had everything. But he, Caleb, he asked for wisdom. So he'd know how to go in and go out, come in and go out. And when he built the temple, God's house, when he built that temple, he dedicated it, and he laid himself on the altar instead of the, just sacrificing animals. He also laid himself down the altar, gave himself to the Lord. And when he prayed that prayer, the prayer was prayed of dedication over God's house, Second Chronicles 7. It said the priest couldn't even stand. How'd you like to have a church service where nobody could stand up? They're all falling on the floor, on their faces, because the glory of God is so heavy. That's what I want to see happen. I'd like to see some of that happen Sunday. I want to just see the glory of God come down so heavy that you can't contain it, you can't even restrain it. You, things happen you don't understand. Crazy stuff. But God is a wild God. Not wild in sin, but I'm just saying... Wild, powerful, awesome God. And so, you know, when he dedicated that temple, that's what happened. The priests couldn't even walk in. People couldn't walk in. They couldn't stand. They, they had to be on the floor, ground. Then he, the Lord said, if my people, you know, when you talk to God and you listen, God will talk back. And he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray. Seek my face. I'll hear them. And I'll forgive them. And I will heal their land. Boy. America needs a healing, doesn't it? I mean, we have some great heritage, but man, some of our leaders have tried to take us so far away from God. I mean, the rhetoric going on right now about the Supreme Court uh, thinking of overturning Roe versus Wade. Well, you know, they're just trying to overturn a bad law and send it back to the states. But they really want to model it after that. Well, I don't know that I agree with that totally either, but it's better than what was. That, you know, that you can't abort a baby after there's a heartbeat. Shouldn't be aborting one anyway unless it's dead you know then it's not abortion 
all those procedures called an abortion. Uh, it's aborting, you know, terminating the pregnancy. If the baby's dead in the womb, you know, that happens. But you shouldn't terminate something that God gave life to. You're playing God then. And no matter how they want to dress it, say it's a woman's rights, what about God and his rights? Now what about that baby's rights? I'm very pro-life. I don't know if you knew that. You know, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for so many years. Just haven't been real active the last few years as far as out in the public, but I do speak to it many times. But we need to obey God's voice. That's the key. If you hear his voice and you think his thoughts and you learn his ways, then you're going to be successful. You're going you're to prosper. You're not going to be poor. You're going to be well off because God's going to bless you. John chapter 10 and verse 37. I can get carried away, you know, when I get to preaching. But John 10, 37 says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. You know, we have to be a church that does God's work. America relies on health insurance and everything else. We have access to so much. Many times we go there before we go to God. I go to these other places that don't, they don't have health insurance. They don't have Medicaid. They don't have Medicare, Pastor Ken. They just, if they don't get some help somewhere, if they don't have a bunch of money to pay the doctors down in Mexico, then they're just going to die. So when they come, I was preaching in Costa Rica, and we had such an awesome service. I mean, the glory of God fell on that place. 500 people on a Sunday morning got baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's about a 1,200 there. And then one of the ladies came up to me after she begged me for my handkerchief. She said, please, por favor, she wanted my hanky so bad. I said, well, yeah, but I'll wipe the sweat. Let me bring you a clean one. Oh, no, no. She wanted one that I'd used that had the anointing on it. Hallelujah. <laughs> And so finally I gave it to her. She took it home, put it on her sick mother in her bed. The woman was healed and got up and came to church with her that night. Let me tell you. Boy, stranger things. But she believed. See, she put a demand on the anointing. She put a demand on God. They didn't have money. They didn't have time. They didn't have... Hope, but when God arrives, and say, and I'm no savior, but when a man of God arrives that sees miracles and healings, and they look to you, and it's like, hey, we want that, we want the healing, then they respond and they receive. I don't know why it's, they receive so much easier than Americans do. 
You can't get a guy to get off the back row of the church to come forward for prayer when the anointing's moving. Then you wonder why they're sick. I'm not picking on nobody. That was just a, a description. The church is not just having a little service. Okay, I paid homage to God. I feel good about myself. Now I'm going to go home. And I'm going to go to the doctor tomorrow. Not that we can't go to the doctor. You can. I mean, I go to the doctor occasionally. But anyway, Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Sons follow their daddies. They can learn a lot. And if you follow God, you're a son of God. That's how the proof is. When you're being led, you're led by God. You follow Him. Number four, too many leaders rely on their own insights and their intellectual understanding of things. I'm glad Zach got his master's. I've got a bachelor's. I took 16 courses beyond my bachelor's in biblical studies. I never went far enough to get a master's. But I did study. And I got ordained. I've been ordained in about four or five organizations. you know. But uh, it's, it is what it is. But we don't need to just rely on our own insights only. And not on our intellectual understanding of things. Sometimes I'm not as intellectual as the next one. But I have an understanding of what God says, what He does. Anyway, let's go on. James 3, 1. You know what? We'll be done here before you know it. James 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. You know, you shouldn't want to just be in the ministry and teach and preach, you know, because if you're not accurate and you're not right, then you're going to have stricter judgment come against you. If you spout wrong doctrine, and I'm not picking on anybody, and there's a lot of denominations that have a lot of the truth, but some of them, they don't believe the truth completely and when they don't guess what when you get to heaven and you don't believe in healing or you don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and so people don't get what they need you got to be accountable in heaven when you get there why did you tell those people they couldn't be healed now that that's already stopped yet I can eat lunch with you and I can chit chat with you but you know what you're going to be judged by what you say. Now, I was in a town in Arkansas, I just won't say where, and the pastor was so hungry, he was hearing me on the radio, and this was before I moved here. And I went down there and preached on a Sunday, and Steve Murphy was with me. He played the keyboards and did some worship with the worship team. And then when I preached, I challenged them if they wanted the Holy Spirit to stand. Out of 100 people, 50 people stood and got baptized in the Holy Spirit that day. 
you talk about change in a place, it had Baptists in there now, Neva. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of Bapticostals out there. So, but the pastor of the bigger Baptist church came to service that night wearing a baseball cap and a hoodie or something. He was kind of hiding on the back row. I talked to him after the service, and he said, well, I had to come and hear. He said, my mother is the sweetest lady on God's green earth, and she prays in tongues in her closet. And he said, if she prays in tongues, then there has to be something to it. Because he knew she wasn't of the devil. I had a guy who worked for me years ago in a Christian school. I think he's passed away now. And he's found out what the total truth is now. But he pastored another mainline denomination church that didn't believe in speaking in tongues or the gifts or, or those things, you know. And I asked him one day, I said, well, why do you believe it's of the devil? Do y'all preach that? Well, he, didn't, he was very uncomfortable. We went to a conference together up in Jefferson City, you know, by John Stormer. And it was about none dare call it treason or none dare call it education. He'd written these books. And so the, the fact was, I said, well, do you really believe it? I said, I speak in tongues every day. I said, do you believe it's of the devil? He said, well, I don't know. I said, then why are you working for the devil? Because I'm your boss. He said, I don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> I was younger. I was 30 years old. And he did not like that topic. But I put my big mouth out there all the time. That's why you got to get seasoned a little bit. I've gotten older. I don't speak as quickly as I used to about certain things. I give people a little bit of a break in a sense. But the reality is, hey, the ecclesia, iglesia in Spanish, church in English, it is a vision of a church, God's church. His church, not part of them are going to work in miracles and healings and gifts, and the other part, no, we don't believe that. Well, it doesn't mean a bunch of mm-mm if you don't believe it. I get wound up. Then I don't know how to say. It doesn't mean anything if you don't believe it because it's still real. It's still true. That man, just because he didn't believe it, he thought it was of the devil. Well, his boss, me, I spoke in tongues. So you're going to say I'm of the devil? Well, he wouldn't say that. He knew me. He knew I was a good guy. He knew I was a believer. He knew he could count on me. And it just messed up his thinking. He almost wished, you know, that he didn't have to work there after that. Anyway. (laughs) You can't just lean on your own intellectualism. John... Or James 3, 1, I read that, Matthew 18, 16. It says, 18, 16, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. 
comes the rain. I like the sound of rain, but I usually want to go to sleep. So don't close your eyes while you're listening there, okay? Because you may nod off. You might just stretch. You know, we need to have some stretching in our services. That'll help you. But the point is, in Philippians 2, 3, let's go ahead and read that one. It says there, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Our ministry should be focused on helping others. And that's, I'm not in competition with the Baptist, the Methodist, the Assembly of God, the Church of God, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the Episcopalians. I've preached in a lot of in churches. We met Zach's uh, mentor in the global. Uh, at least she's one of them. She taught him. She's going to be our conference speaker, Sister Virginia. She's a quality person, let me tell you. She wrote some dynamic books. She's been a missionary to China. She was very thrilled with Zach's progress. And she pastors a church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I said, well, you know, I preached a revival in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it was the same year that her and her husband went there to start pastoring that church. And... I preached in an AME church, African Methodist Episcopal. And they didn't necessarily believe everything that I believed. I started talking about casting demons out of somebody. You know, the back doors went like this. Wham! Open. The back door to the outside went wham! And it hit and closed back. There was nobody back there. All those people looked at me. Their eyes got this big. What are you talking about? I said, well, praise God, the devil just left the building. He slammed the door when he did it. I said, y'all can relax. The devil didn't like what I was talking about. They listened to me that day. But we got to have a vision for the total church, not just our little piece of the pie. We're not competing. And then us that are a little more like-minded, you know, we believe similar to the Assemblies of God or the Church of God, like the Palace of Praise. We believe similar to Mount Calvary. We, You know, there's a few churches around here that believe similarly to us. Our doctrines are very close, in other words. But I'm not in competition with Kent Miller. He's a good pastor. He's got a great church over there. Man, he worked hard. Uh, he worked at Gates Rubber and had his church. I think he had about 12 people. And now it's a good-sized church. I don't know how many people they got. They got a lot more than we do right now. But, you know, he is a bishop now in the church of God. I'm not in competition with him. I don't go stand outside his church telling everybody, you ought to come over to our church. I think you'd like it. I don't even try to tell people that I meet and they go to somebody else's church that they ought to come to our church. Now, if somebody tells me my church is dead, they don't do, they don't pray for anybody, they don't practice anything in the Holy Spirit, I say, get out! No, I feel like saying get out because why would you stay in a dead church that's religious? God wants life. He wants a place. 
that's full of life. What I read? Philippians 2 and 3. I already read that. Yeah. Don't do anything with conceit or ambition. I'd never be in an organization. I was in an organization at one time. I was ordained in that organization in Louisiana. And I'm not bragging on me, but I started the 100th church in their organization in that state. Somebody told me, you're like the golden boy of this district. And they gave me everything I needed. They gave me an organ, a piano. They gave me chairs. They even gave me hymnals. And they were giving me so much money every month. And, but, you know, they wanted to, if I'd have stayed, they were going to redo and make us a really nice nursery. Some of the other churches were going to give money towards it. I even went to Baton Rouge and met with a big ministry there. They wanted me to be the first Operation America pastor in their organization. This ministry brought in I forget, $300 million a year or something like that. They're on TV all the time. I didn't say the leader's name because then I don't want to say anything bad. But they wanted me to be the first one. I didn't stay, though. I came to Poplar Bluff and ran the Christian school. Became associate pastor because my heart was here. You know. But anyway, number five. I've got to get on here. Leaders must be righteous in their living to lead others and don't look down on their followers acting better than them. Just because I've had a lot of experiences doesn't mean I'm better than somebody else. But you can learn from somebody like me because I've been a few places and I'm willing to give it away. I'm willing to give everything away that I can to help other people, help other leaders. And most of the time, I'll say this, the prophetic words, and I'll ask Sister Virginia if she feels the same, most of the prophetic words I give people, especially in the ministry, are good words. They're positive words. I rarely give a negative word to anybody about their ministry. You know, I've told a couple people something that, didn't make them totally happy and it was true it happened I told one lady I said you're going to go through a tough time you're going to you're going to battle some sickness but God's going to bring you through that was Chris Martinez's mom her husband Ralph said why do you give her a word like that I said well it's what the Holy Spirit told me to tell her you know what she got very sick this was after I moved away and moved up here. And I went back to visit, and she was like in a coma in the hospital. And I went and I laid hands on her and prayed for her. And then I think it was Chris and maybe Mike Betancourt was with him. The next day they went to the hospital, and she woke up, and I think she sat up. Now she got out of the hospital. She's lived all these years. Later she made it through. And they remembered what I told them. It wasn't a bad word. I said, you're going to be sick, but you're not going to stay sick. God's going to bring you through it. That's because when you got sick, when a devil attacked her, 
understand she had hope to get over it. And they remembered. When you remember a word of God, you hang on to it and you, you proclaim it. Say, this is God. This is what God said. This is not what God said. This is what God said. He said, I will live and not die. Matthew 13 and 17 says, 13 and 17, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. A lot of good people. He said many prophets even. There's a lot of people that would love to see what you've seen when you've seen things. That's why when people get hungry, they love to go with me on mission trips. They want to see. They want to hear. They want to know God in His reality because once you go there, you'll never go back. You've seen too much. You've heard too much. But number six, leaders are to be shepherds who look out and over, look out and over. I got a typo there. Corrected it. Yeah, he did. Over the souls of the followers are the disciples. Yeah. We have a responsibility to look after people. We're responsible for their souls, Caleb. That means we we got we don't want them to go to hell one day. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to come to church and be a part of our family be a part of God's kingdom. We don't want them in left field. We want them with us in the dugout. We want them to be part of our team. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. A lot of people do stuff in the flesh. It's no profit to them. I see guys put their pedal to the metal and they got a muscle car or something and boom, I mean, they're blowing down the highway. I look at my wife and I say, that was a half a gallon right there. <laughs> it profited nothing. They enjoyed the thrill of the feeling of going fast. But they wasted a whole bunch of gas. But Jesus gives us life. He gives us his spirit. He guides us. It's really awesome. In John 5, 39 and 40, says there, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. How many of y'all know people that grew up in church or they went to church? But they don't come to Jesus. 
They don't rely on Him. They don't come and get filled up. They don't get touched. They don't change. In fact, a lot of them, once they've already passed that Sunday school stage or the youth group stage, I could ask these young people here, you know, how many of them are not in church today that y'all grew up with, you know, because they just don't practice it. They know about him, but they don't know him. There's no revelation of him. We need to have revelation of Jesus. That's why we need to have the Holy Ghost move in a service and people to be touched and people to be willing to repent and get prayed for and get dumped on by the glory of God. That's why we go to a conference like we did and I watched Zach. Zach wanted to go to everything. He's like I was. I stayed back a couple of times because I needed to rest. I mean, they had like six sessions a day, you know. You, I could only, my old knees and legs, I need to lay down. Actually, one time I went back and lifted weights a little bit. I need to strengthen myself to be able to make it through the night service. But the reality is people need to be hungry and come and get touched by the anointing of God. Awesome. Then John chapter 10, verse 27 says, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You only know his voice if you come to him and you learn to listen to him. Now the thing is, he's talking through his servants here on earth. I mean, the Holy Ghost will talk to you in your mind. But a lot of times God's talking to you through the messengers that he sends, like myself and others that share the word of God. And so you hear his voice in the voice. You, you know when somebody's flowing in that anointing like in a Sunday service, and you can hear it in their voice. It's like this, mm, oozing out of their voice and you know it's God talking to you. It's an awesome thing. It really is. Seven, many churches today are void of the life of Christ and they're dead in religion. Many churches. And they're dwindling. Eliezer, his church was able to buy a church from an old line denomination because at one time it was a big church of 600 or whatever and over the years, because they never had the Spirit moving, it dwindled and dwindled and dwindled until they had like 15 people in a place that seated 600. They were willing to sell then. So Ellie bought it, and about five years ago, I, I dedicated that church for the church to the Lord. Number eight, many leaders are divided by their religious institutions and are competing for their market share. You know, people are always trying to find their share of the market. Well, we could say, if we wanted to get really technical, we could put it out there trying to get anybody that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, believe in the prophetic, believe in healing, believe in people getting saved. We could do all that and try to gain people. And in America... You get something red hot going, most of the time the people are just jumping from one pond to another. 
But the real revival is when people are really getting saved, transformed, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's miracles happening. Because I think I read one time years ago that I think Poplar Bluff, I'm not sure, maybe 20, at that time 23% of the people in this region were going to church on a Sunday. Man, that's a whole bunch of people. There's 50,000 people just about living in Butler County. Now, there's a lot of counties around here, so let's just raise it up to about 100,000. And if only 23% are going to church, that's 23,000 out of 100, then that means there's 77,000 people out there that need to go to church. And you know what? Some of those words that were given to us years ago, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could have a major revival hit this area in this place and be in the thousands. That's what I believe. I'm believing for it, and I'm not backing down off of it. Number nine, many have abandoned any vision for the community, church, and lack any function of the incarnate Christ and his fullness. In other words, it's my little denomination over here, my little church over here, and this is all we're doing. And... Uh, you know, sometimes I felt like I did that a little bit. I stopped going to ministerial meetings and things like that. But I got tired of all the rhetoric, I guess you'd say. I liked the guys, you know, the gals. There was women pastors too. But I liked the people, but I didn't want to be religious about it. I wanted to hang out a little bit and talk and get to know somebody, not just meet have an agenda and decide who's going to be the speaker at the next minister meeting. Why well, we even got to have a speaker at a minister's meeting? We all speak every week. How about some friendship? But many people abandon a vision for the community. I noticed Greg Gilberto put in Facebook that there's going to be prayer. Is it tomorrow for Poplar Bluff? It is? That's the National Day of Prayer? Okay, there's going to be prayer, and he's they're going to have prayer down there by the courthouse at the little gazebo. And it's needed. I mean, our town, kids are dying right and left. And even their parents. I mean, lots of people have overdosed, and it's just terrible. It's a scourge on society. And they need to have a vision, a revelation of God, you know, because that's not the answer, what they did or what they have happened to them. Anyway, Ephesians 4, 15, 16, and, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him, that's the head, Christ. You speak truth with love when you grow up into the head, Christ. In other words, when you speak, you sound like Jesus. When you smile, you look like Jesus. When you walk, you walk like Jesus. And it says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what they ever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
when everybody gets that revelation, is love everywhere. And how can you resist a church full of love? I think Pastor Ken preached on love, acceptance, forgiveness, our philosophy on Sunday. That's great. Well, spiritual 10, we must produce as kingdom, not religion. Number 11, spiritual realms give birth to the supernatural life. You don't have supernatural things unless you're tapping into the Holy Spirit realm. You can't just be knowledge. Number 12, we must be determined to know Jesus and not a religious way. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, which that's Paul speaking, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, in other words, he didn't want to know religion anymore. He wanted to know Jesus and all his essence. I want to see great things, don't you? I can't wait. Stand up. And I got done at 719. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless these that came. Protect them from any storm tonight. Keep them safe on the highways. And Lord, encourage our hearts so that we can live for you. Be dynamic people. Lead others into the kingdom of God. And know that we are making a difference in people's lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Well, you know, John.